Nothing beats coming and just sitting in the presence of God. Amen? Isn't it amazing how even as pastor we're sharing, we can wake up and things can be, but when you come into the presence of God, it just always changes. If you allow his presence to penetrate, it just, it may not change our, our circumstance right away, but it changes our perspective, doesn't it? And so we just need to keep pressing in and keep believing that God has something for us in these days. Amen? It's so encouraging to see people seeking God at the altar. You know, I love seeing the youth just coming and seeking God and um, it's just, it's a powerful thing when we can come together in unity and seek God, put our agendas aside, put our frustrations aside, and, and put our focus on God, amen? And that's what we've been doing through the book of Revelation, right? Because Revelation is all about Jesus, isn't it? Hasn't it been awesome taking the class? It's been amazing, just the, the perspectives that come out and how relevant it is to now. And so... And as pastor has led us through these churches, how many of you have been blessed with the messages of studying these churches? Doesn't it feel relevant? It feels real? You know, all these churches are going through stuff, right? And we need the Spirit of God to come and build us up, but we also need the Spirit of God to come and correct, right? Nobody likes correction, but part of maturity is when we get correction in our lives, it's what we do with it. And, and it's, to get, it's to make us better, right? And so we're going to go to the word of the Lord. We're going to be um, in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be, this is part 5 of our series in the churches in Revelation. And so before I read the scripture, um, and this morning we're going to be looking at the tolerant church. The tolerant church. And so, is it good to be a tolerant person? Sure, right? Is it good to be tolerant? And so tolerant literally means this. It's showing willingness to allow the existence of opinions and behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. That's the definition of tolerant, right? And so, what are things that we are tolerant of? We like to think we're tolerant people, right? Especially married couples, we, wanna, we need to be tolerant, right? You know, I remember when Tara and I were dating once, and we were at the campus here in Barrington, and we were just talking, and she mentioned... Uh, I'm going to go get a drink from the bubbler. And I kind of looked at her. I said, excuse me? I said, what's a bubbler? And we kind of, we had this little argument. She's like, it's the thing you go get water out of. I'm like, you mean the water fountain? She goes, no, it's the bubbler. Yeah. And I'm like cleaning my ears out. And I'm like, this is, and we've, we've talked about this into our marriage. I mean, this wasn't in our marriage counseling books. And I'm like, you mean the water fountain? And we're going back and forth. We're arguing. She's like, it's the bubbler. And then when I moved to Rhode Island, everyone's calling it the bubbler. We're literally, this, I'm, I'm yelling, it doesn't bubble. And she's like, but that's what it's called. It does bubble if you push it here. And, you know, we're, so I've become tolerant of that. She still calls it the bubbler. You know, when you get married to someone, you know, you can date someone long enough, but it's not till you get married to them and you live with them that you begin to see little things that come out. And Ember, one, one's off differently. What I do is on the carpet, I just go like this. And I go like that, and they come off. And I remember she's sitting there. She's like, what did you just do? I said, I took my socks off. She's like, who does that? And I said, I do it. She's like, why do you do that? I said, so I don't have to bend down and take them off like an animal. And so she's learned to tolerate that. She doesn't question it anymore. So I go to get in the bed, and I go like this, and she tolerates it. I got in an argument with a friend of mine. Literally a, a yelling argument of how to pronounce s'mores. You know s'mores, the snack that you eat, the graham cracker, the chocolate, the marshmallow? 
We got in an argument whether there was a space in between it. If you say s'mores or s'mores. He says you say s'mores. And I'm yelling at him, who says that? I'm like, <laughs> the whole point of s'more, when you say you want s'more of something, it's called s'more. And so we're arguing back and forth. I'm like, who says I want s'more? No one says that. It was called s'more. And so we literally were shouting at each other. And we're still friends. We still text. We still call. And we, we've tolerated that with each other. So we are tolerant people. We like to think we are. But there are some things in life that we as the church can't tolerate. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We can tolerate different things and different agendas, different views. We've seen that the past year. It's okay to tolerate that. But there are certain things that we as the church are called not to tolerate, certain behaviors, certain lifestyles. And it all comes down to this question. Is truth relative or is truth absolute? And that's an important question when it comes to what we tolerate in our lives. So relativism is this. It moral relativism encompasses the difference in moral judgments among people and cultures. To be a relativist means that a belief, idea, proposition, or claim is never true or false. It's never good or bad or right or wrong. There is no absolute or objective truth to someone who is relative. Absolutism is this. It's the idea that universal facts do exist. And what that means believe is relative and what we believe is absolute. A truth here in our nation is we drive on the right side of the road, right? Well, you go overseas to Europe and some countries and they drive on the left side. And so we as, you can't go over and argue and say, our tr the truth is you drive on the right side. That truth doesn't, isn't the same overseas because it's different in different cultures and different contexts. So you can go over and, and live your truth, but you'll probably be going to a hospital pretty soon. And so there are different things that change with culture and context. But there are universal truths in the Word of God that do not change. No matter what country you go to, no matter how you were raised, no matter what's happened in your life, there are truths in the Word of God that are absolute. And so, what are some things that are absolute or relative? Tom Brady is not the GOAT. Is that relative or is that absolute? If you live in New England, that's an absolute. The facts are there. If you are a non-Patriots fan like myself, that is very, very, very relative. Yankees are the best franchise in sports history. Is that relative or is that absolute? I'm a Yankees fan, so it's an absolute. Chick-fil-A makes the best chicken sandwich and has the best sauce. That's an absolute. Speeding in your car, is that, is, is that breaking the law? Is that an absolute or is that relative? Well, when you speed and you get pulled over and you tell the officer, well, this is relative, officer. That speed limit, that sign is relative. You'll probably get another ticket. Maybe have to get out of your car. Pornography is okay because it's not hurting anyone. Is that relative? Is that based off, well, it's not hurting anyone, it's what I do? Or is that an absolute? absolute? Flirting with a man or a woman and having a physical relationship with them when you're married to someone else, is that relative? Is that an absolute? Sex outside of marriage, is that okay? Is that a truth in the word of God that's relative? 
we can kind of make it what we want because things that have happened in our lives. Terminating the life of a baby while in the womb, is that a truth or is that relative? Physical relationships with someone of the same sex or marrying someone of the same sex, is that a relative truth in our, in our lives or is that something that's absolute? So a lot of questions, a lot of things to process, but thank God the word of God has answers to some of these. God doesn't care about the Yankees or Chick-fil-A or, well, he cares about Chick-fil-A, but he doesn't care about Tom Brady and other things like that. Those things are relevant to us. We can have fun with that. We can go back and forth. But there are, are truths that are absolute that we have to talk about this morning, and, and it's addressed with the church that we're going to be looking at. So if you can open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 28, and then we have three things that we're going to pull out of. There's a lot of truths in this um, section of Scripture, but we're just going to look at three different things to kind of help us as we continue to navigate through these churches. And we want to be a better church, right? Yes. We want to be a church of power and of authority, right? Yes. We want to minister to those who are coming in who need the word of God, amen? amen? And so we want to be the best that we can be. And so these scriptures are for that purpose. Yes. And so it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers... And who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. And so here we have another church that we're going to look at, another real church. This isn't, as Pastor has mentioned, this isn't, these aren't just uh, metaphoric things. These are actual churches that Jesus was looking at. He was looking at how they were operating. He was looking at the people in the church and the conditions of their hearts. And a lot of them got really good encouragements, but at the same time, some got corrections. And so, as I said before, we need corrections in our lives. And so one of the truths, one of the principles that I pulled out of this is very simple. Number one is Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees everything. Think about that. Everything that you do, everything that you've done, everything that you have yet to do, Jesus sees it all. We see in the beginning, it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these words, the Son of God. And it says, Who has eyes of a flame of fire. You know, this emphasizes the idea that his eyes looked with penetrating judgment. What are we allowing others to see in our life? You know, we can come to church on Sundays, we can go to school Monday through Friday as, as youth, we can go to our works, whether you work at night, whether you work during the day, and we have a way of showing people what we want to show, right? Even with social media, we can, 
We're not going to show everything and show all. We're going to show what we want to show. And, you know, part of that, some of that is okay if you want to show certain things. But the amazing thing with Jesus is nothing escapes his vision. He sees everything that we do. He sees everything that has been done to us. And so my question this morning is what are you allowing people to see or not see in your life? We see another description of Jesus. It says that he had feet like burnished bronze or brass. This emphasizes Jesus' purity. Brass is pure and highly refined in the fire. It also emphasized his steadfastness because brass was the strongest known metal in the ancient world. His feet were brass, and it would literally mean that he was strong and immovable. And I love that it uses this description here because he's about to encourage the church with something but also correct them with something. And that steadfast is that immovable. I believe it means that he's standing on his word and what he says. And that you can't change what he says or make it relative to your situations. Jesus is about to tell the church some things. And he's going to say, these are things that, can't sh- that, that you cannot make relative to your own life. These are things that I expect of my church. And we have free will. We can choose whether we want to live those truths out in our lives. But there are consequences if we go against it. And so there are absolute truths that Jesus stands on and represents that are universal for the church. And we're going to see some of them as we move along. So Thyatira was the least significant city of the seven cities. It was the least significant. It was one of the smallest. And yet they were not hidden to Jesus. And I love that. I love that they used his description of eyes that are penetrating. You may feel small. You may feel insignificant. You may feel that you're not valued enough at your workplace. Maybe in your families you don't feel valued enough. Maybe in your school hallways you just don't feel worth it. But the truth of God's word is that Jesus sees everything. Not just penetrating judgment to correct things in your life, but he sees you just to see you. He sees you in your school hallways. He sees you in your workplaces, whether you're at the top of the ladder or you're at the bottom. Jesus sees you. It does not matter how big or small the church is. Jesus sees all, and he encourages progress and good work, but he addresses things that need to be corrected. We see the sin of larger churches in the news. You've seen that. When a church is massive, it gets more more eyes are on it, more news, more focus on it. But for these medium-sized or smaller churches, we can't think, well, because maybe the news isn't here that these principles don't apply to us. The devil works just as much in these larger churches as he does in medium churches and smaller churches and home churches. That's why these principles are universal. We have to be obedient to them whether we're in a small church, whether we're in a medium church, or whether we're in a mega church. We are called to be vigilant as believers. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This address is not directed towards church size. It is directed towards the believer within the church. Look what he says in verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. You know what I love? Jesus sees your growth. And that's what he's telling this church is they're operating in love and faith and service and endurance. And he says not only that, but you're exceeding that of the first, which means you're growing in it. So you may feel like maybe I'm not growing. I'm trying to read the word. I'm trying to pray, but I'm still struggling. I'm still dealing with these things. Jesus sees the progress in your life. Other people may not call it out. Other people may not encourage you as much as you'd like. But Jesus sees everything. He sees your progress. And when you spend time with him, he wants to tell you that you're progressing. 
Isn't there no better word of encouragement when someone comes and just tells you how, how much better you're getting? You know, I got such an encouraging text from Pastor a few months ago, and I went back and I read it, and it was just so encouraging, and he was sharing a moment where I didn't feel that at all. I was literally questioning, like, am I taking steps forward or am I taking steps back? Have, how many of you have ever felt like that? But when you get that word of encouragement, it's so powerful. And maybe you're saying, well, I didn't get a text. But spend time in the presence of Jesus because he's going to show you that he sees everything in your life. And he wants to encourage you of your progress. This church was moving in some powerful things. That word love is in the Greek, is, it's, it's the agape love. So it meant this church was operating in an unconditional love. Do we as a church want to operate in an unconditional love? We want people coming in who are dealing with stuff, and we want to love on them without condition, amen? That's a good thing. He goes on to commend their faith, which literally just means a conviction of knowing that God exists. So they were a church that had faith. And he goes on to commend their service, which literally means ministering, or those who execute the commands of others. Do we want to be a church who executes the commands of others? We've encouraged people to serve in this church to be a part of something. And we want to be a church that progresses in that. Amen? And lastly, he commends them in their perseverance, which literally means steadfastness or constancy or patience. So this was a church that loved people. This was a church that had faith. This was a church that served. And this was a church that persevered. But there's always a but, isn't there? I get buts from my mom all the time. You did good with that, but... And usually it's not a an encouragement after a but. But he says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Part of growing is allowing criticism in our lives. If we were perfect, there would be no room for correction. But we have become so easily offended when we are criticized in our culture now. People get so offended and not only that, they get offended for other people. People get worked up about getting on offense for things that happen to other people. You know, I was reading, uh, Tara and I were watching this thing, and it's, there was an article about why people get offended, and it said the root issue of offense is we want to put our views above other people's. That was the root of offense. It's okay, and let me explain, it's okay to get offended, but we have to analyze why are we getting offended? And we have to deal with that. I grew up without a father, and so I didn't have that fatherly, you know, love. Because I also wasn't really seeking God at that time. And so there was a disconnect. So whenever correction came in my life, I always looked at it as I've, I was doing wrong. And I always equated it to my identity. Whenever so someone told me I was doing something wrong, I took it negatively. But we have to understand that if Jesus sees everything, he's going to speak the good things in our lives, but he's also going to speak the things that need correction. And we cannot be a generation that is so offended. The, the culture is so offended over everything. The walls are squeezing in. You can't say anything. And the sad thing is people are so quick to, to put other things on blast. There was a, there was a, a news thing that we watched of a, um, some teachers who were having a conference, and they were on Zoom, and they didn't realize it was live. And so they were complaining about some of the parents, and some of the, someone realized it was live. What they did is they recorded it, and they uploaded it to Facebook, the YouTube right away, and it went viral. Yeah. Now, it's not, to, it's not to say that they probably shouldn't have been doing that, 
But people are so quick to put on blast what people do. Instead of getting the details, instead of realizing the context that people are hurting, we're so quick to put other people on blast and to put them down instead of getting the details. And if Jesus is correcting something in our life, if we're reading something in his word and it goes against the way that we're living and a pastor corrects that or uses the word of God, what do we do? We can get offended, but we have to process why we're getting offended. Are we getting offended because we want to hold our way of life over the word of God? So I want to ask you again, what are you hiding from people? What are you allowing people to see or not see? The criticism for this church is the woman Jezebel. says that she was causing very serious issues in the church. These were not small issues. These were massive issues. She was a false prophet, and she caused corruption in the church. There are people in church who cause corruption. They come into the church. They're led by the enemy to cause division. And we have to have ears, and we have to have eyes to be able to see that spirit and to speak against it. And what Jesus was saying is this spirit has come into the church and it was causing division and it was causing people to, to live these lifestyles that were contrary of the word of God. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab back in the Old Testament. She was a disrespectful and irreverent, cruel queen who protected idolatry and persecuted prophets. And so her, her physical body may be dead, but that spirit of Jezebel still lives and goes through every generation and through the churches. And we as a church have to look to the word of God so that we can call out things that are wrong. And Jesus is seeing, he's looking at this church and saying, you're doing all this good, but this I'm putting my finger on and this has to get dealt with. And so we as a church, we have to examine our own hearts. And what was she doing? Immorality and sexual immorality. We see that named. In the Greek, it's pornevu, which means to literally prostitute one's body to the lust of another, to commit fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, to indulge in unlawful lust. And immorality in the Greek, it covers everything. The Greek word is pornea, where we get the word pornography. And this is what it encompasses. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, sexual intercourse with close relatives, and sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. These are things that encompass that this woman, the spirit of Jezebel, is encompassing. And maybe those who are farther along in their walk and their faith can easily say, yeah, those things are wrong. But there are people in the churches that were struggling with these things, and this woman, this spirit, was leading them away to do it. And Pastor mentioned it last week about this libertinism, Gnosticism, which people said it doesn't matter what we do with the body. We'll, we'll, we'll protect our soul and our spirit, but we can do whatever we want with the body. That was the thinking. But Jesus is saying, no, the absolute truths in my word are this. Everything has been aired out about this church. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Sometimes it's good to have everything aired out. And, that's, and in front of Jesus, in front of his eyes, everything is aired out. We can hide who we are in front of our pastors, in front of our moms and dads, in front of our friends. We can hide certain areas in our lives. But when you're in the presence of God, everything is aired out. Nothing is hidden. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom must, we must give an account. What is Jesus seeing in your life right now? I think we have defined correction or discipline as, as I'm not good enough. Discipline and correction, when done correctly, has a redeeming end result. If you have people who are not afraid to come up and to correct things in your life, you hold fast to those relationships. 
It is so much easier to just bite your tongue and let people live their lives and tolerate how they're living than to stand and confront them. Because the reason we confront is not to judge. We confront because we realize these are absolute truths and there's consequences if people live these lifestyles. Amen? Amen. We have to become a church family that can confront one another when we see things happening that go against the word of God. Amen? So number one is Jesus sees everything. Number two is this. Jesus does not mistake tolerance for love. Jesus does not mistake tolerance for love. In verse 21 it says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw her and throw into great tribulation. That word tribulation literally means afflictions, or it means distress. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. There's some serious consequences. So one of the questions is, is should Christians judge one another? We talk about that a lot, right? Well, don't judge me. I'm being me. I'm, don't, don't look at me and, 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 and judge me. You know what? As Christians, we really aren't called to judge in certain circumstances. In Luke 6, 37, he says, judge not, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. Romans 2, 1, Paul writes, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. But Paul writes something in 1 Corinthians that's very interesting. He says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 5, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now remember, what are these letters to? Are they to the world? They're to the church, right? So Paul says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside, and then he says this, purge the evil person from among you. That's crazy. So we aren't called to be the judge and and call out other people and outside in the world. The world is going to live their lives. Truth is relative out in the world. You can live the way that you want. You can be the way that you want. We're not called to go into the workplaces and just cast judgment on people. You know, I believe that it was even powerful when it says that Jesus sat with the sinners. The Pharisee says, why did he sit with the tax collectors and the sinners? I believe that there was a level of tolerance in Jesus in that he stood around them, but he still expected them to change. But what about in the church? Paul is literally saying in the, Old Test- in the New Testament church back in the beginning, they used to kick people out of the church if they were disobeying and not living by the truth of the word. And that person could get offended and go to another church. But the point, again, why does Jesus correct? It's not to judge and then bottom line. Correction, there's always a redeeming result. It's for the purity of the church, but it's also for the repentance of that sinner. And that's why we have to hold to a level of intolerance in the church. Charles Swindoll, we're reading this commentary on Revelation. He writes this. He says, the biblical approach to toleration is... Don't judge the world, God will judge them. Instead, hold the church of Christ to its own standards of doctrinal and moral impurity. The judgment and discipline is not just for the purity of the church, as I mentioned. It's for the repentance and restoration of the believer who is in sin. There are consequences for the choices that we make in the way that we decide to live. We have to move from, I tolerate your lifestyle because I love you, to I love you enough to speak the truth to you. We have become a church, and not just victory in general, I'm saying in general, over our nation, we've become a people who say, I tolerate your lifestyle because I love you. And that doesn't measure up with certain things. 
Because if we truly loved people and we knew there were consequences for certain lifestyles, we would stand and confront them. Amen? The vaccine is one of the biggest things that's going around for this, this um, virus. And so, if, so some people are getting the vaccine because they, they, it's going to cure, it's going to help. And so in the same way, if there's a, a vaccine for spiritual sickness, shouldn't we as the church offer that? It doesn't matter how offended the person may get. I've lost relationships because I've called out things. I've also fractured relationships because I've gave pushback when people have called out things in my own life. In church, we have to learn how to be offended. You can be offended, but you have to process, why am I getting offended? You have to look at who is coming to you. If it's just someone who doesn't know you and they're calling something out, maybe God can use that as well. But if there's people in your life who are correcting something, get offended, but then realize God has put them in my life to better my life. Amen? We have to become that church. Hillsong, I was listening to a song called As You Find Me. And uh, part of the uh, chorus at the end, the bridge, they just sing over again, your love's too good to leave me here. And as I was preparing, I was listening to that. And it just, they kept saying it over and over. Jesus' love, as Pastor just shared this morning, that Jesus loves us and his love is too good to leave us here. Parents with kids, the patience that you need, the endurance that you need for kids and their rebellion and the things that they do. When I correct Madeline or Abigail, it's not because I want to. It's because if they're doing something wrong, I need to correct that behavior so that they can live right. And Maddie doesn't look at me and say, I'm offended that you said that to me. If she said that, then we'd have a whole other issue. I'd have to bring her in for counseling with Pastor Richard and Lisa. We'd have some other things to address. She doesn't look at me and say, I'm offended by what you said. She gives a little pushback and she gets it. And then we process after they go in timeout, why were you there? Because we want to show them the right way of living. And so if you're living a way that's contrary to the word of God and you feel conviction or someone confronts you with it within the church, instead of getting offended, say, wow, thank you, God, for sending someone who loves me enough to help me live right. John 8, 10 through 11 says this. Jesus stood up and said to her, so this was a woman who was caught in adultery. Have you ever been caught in something? Isn't it like the worst feeling? My mom's caught me in so many things and there's no excuses. It's, I remember one time I took a toilet plunger. My friend Mike and I were, hey, we had a sleepover and I stuck it on the ceiling of our bathroom. We wanted to swing from it. And so I stuck the plunger on the ceiling and I pulled it, the entire ceiling came down. It was one of those older houses where it was plaster ceilings. It's everywhere. And my brother, of course, comes up, and he's just smirking. He's looking in the bathroom, and he can't wait for my mom to come home. And I'm looking at him with eyes of fear, and I just kept saying over, I can fix this. I can fix this. Please, please don't tell mom. Well, I got caught in doing it. I don't remember what happened. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll leave that in the past. But this woman was caught in adultery and says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Because these, these men were about to throw stones to kill her. Because in the Old Testament, if you committed adultery or got caught, the penalty was death. And look what he says. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And look what Jesus says. Neither do I condemn you. But there's not a period. It goes on to say, go and from now on, sin no more. He doesn't tolerate the behavior. But he doesn't cast that judgment of death. He says to her, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And she goes, neither do I but go and sin no more. 
as a church, we have to allow correction into our lives, and then we have to go and we have to change. Jesus didn't say, go and continue living the lifestyle. He says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't live that lifestyle anymore. Point three. So point one is what? Jesus sees everything. Point two. Jesus does not mistake tolerance for love. And the last point is Jesus rewards steadfastness. Steadfastness is this, being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. So Jesus may point out things in our lives because he sees things in our lives that need changing. But when we do live for God, when we do try and honor his commandments and live for the truths of the scripture, there are rewards that come from that. How many of you love rewards? Oh, I love rewards. Our daughters love rewards. We got this toddler alarm clock, and it, and it turns, it's purple as a nightlight, but then in the morning, we set it to a certain time. So 7.45 in the morning, when it turns green, they can get out of their bed. And so Abby will make the habit of coming at 6 o'clock in the morning, or 6.30, to tell us that it's not green yet. <laughs> and so we're trying to correct her, you stay in the bed and stop waking your sister up. She wakes Maddie up. Maddie's a late sleeper. And so we've wrestled with this. And so now we've rewarded her when she does it right. So now at 7.46, she'll come in the bedroom and say, I didn't wake Maddie up. Do I get a treat today? (laughs) She remembers. She wants her reward. And so when we we live for the principles of God, there's rewards in our life. And look what he says in verse 24. He says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, so who don't fall into that teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Wow. I want authority over the nations. How many of you want authority over the nations? I'll take some of that authority. And it says, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. You know, we have to decide in our lives, are we going to live to please people, or are we going to live to please God? You can do both until it comes down to those absolute truths. When people try and change the way that you live or change the way that you think, we have to ultimately and all the time live to please God. Amen? If we live our lives to please man, which I was a huge people pleaser, sometimes still have fragments of that. We want to please people, right? We want to please our bosses, our friends, our employees, our family members. But if we live to please man only, we may find ourselves in situations we never thought we'd be in. In John 18, 37 through 38, Pilate, who had the authority to kill Jesus, to allow him to be crucified, is speaking to him. And it says in verse 38, he says, what is truth? He asked that to Jesus. And it says, and after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He said, I find no guilt in them, but because he wanted to please them, because they wanted Jesus crucified, what did he do? He gave in to the people. Even though there was no guilt, even though there was nothing wrong, he gave in to the people's demands. In Acts 24, verse 27, it says, When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Paul had no reason to be in prison. He didn't do anything wrong, but because the man wanted to please 
people, he left Paul in prison. And thank God when people are, are unjust to our situations that God still moves in us. God can still use us. But these were people pleasers. But look what the word of God says in Acts 5.29 about the believers. When Peter and the apostles answered, he, they said, we must obey God rather than men. This is not being rebellious. This is not raising up a... But they were arrested for speaking the word of God. So when people start to push against the church in these times, are we going to close up? Or are we going to be obedient to continue speaking the truth? Because that's what's happening in our generation. In Galatians 1.10, for now I am seeking the approval... For, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What happens when we do not please man? There are times in our culture where we can please our bosses, our family members, our, our church family. But what happens when we don't appease to what the culture wants to tell us to do? Well, we're seeing it right now. We are seeing the greatest canceling of ever in our culture. There are people shouting equality from the streets, but yet they're saying, if you don't disagree with what I say, then you're shut down. How is that equality? If we're all equality and you want to believe what you want to believe, then shouldn't we be able to believe what we want to believe? But now it's coming into the church. If you speak out against these different things, you're shut down. You're canceled out. These big texts, YouTube, you're looking at all, they're shutting people's voices down because they're not going with their agenda. We can get into all of those issues, and that's a whole nother sermon, but the point is, if we want equality, shouldn't we all be able to believe what we want? Yeah. If people in the world want to live the way that they want, shouldn't people in the church be able to speak what we're supposed to be living by? Yeah. And shouldn't that be okay? But it's not. And so we need to be a vigilant church in these end times. We have to stand on the word of God even if people get offended and even if people try and shut us down. The amazing thing is the faithful will get to reign with Christ. If we can hold fast to the teachings of the word of God, if we can allow correction to come into our lives and say, you know what, I need that then God has rewards for us that are eternity long. Amen? Amen? So as I conclude and pray, Jesus sees everything. What are we trying to hide from people? Jesus does not mistake tolerance for love. Loving people in the church is speaking truth. And Jesus, is, Jesus rewards steadfastness. Are we living to please man or God? So how do we begin to combat, in this church, it was specifically sexual immorality. How do we deal with that in the church? How do we deal with the, the filth and the corruption that is flowing into the church? Because under that word, sexual immorality, it encompasses all of that. Pornography is one of the biggest issues in our church. You know, the youth might hate me, but listen, these devices that they have, if you are not monitoring what they're looking at, if you don't have any idea of how to put blocks on, then they should not have these devices. I don't hide my emails or my texts. Tara has, e uh, she has, she's basically a part of everything on my phone. She knows my lock code. She knows my, and I remember pastor shared the same thing. And people may say, yeah, but you're a pastor. You're, 
I don't want to ever put myself in a position because I know when I was in high school, phones, all you could do was text. And you got charged for it and got yelled at by your mom because you text too much. But what you can do on this device, parents, when you hand this to a youth, there's great things that they can do with it, but there's also other things that are pressing in through this thing. And even as we were praying last night, I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart that there's fathers and even mothers who are dealing with pornography, and that's why they're not addressing the issue with their children or even aware of it. The statistics show we're struggling with it. I had an addiction for a very long time. And thank God that I had people in my life who I allowed to speak truth to. It's not always easy, but there are fences and boundaries that we have put in place so that is no longer an issue. And parents, we need to do the same thing with our youth and with our children. We have an app, a church app, and on that app, we have free guidelines for parents. You know what the number one that has been taken or been used has been the issue of pornography. So if you go into the app, it's a youth parents guard or guardian resource. You go onto the resource tab, and we have all kinds of parental um, things that you can look and read. Parents' guide to teen slang. Parents' guide to Instagram. Parents' guide to suicide and self-harm. That was a big one, too. Parents' guide, guard, guide to smartphones. Understanding the porn threat. Parents' guide to Snapchat. Parents' guide to internet filtering and monitoring. It shows you how you can go on each device and put things to help your kids not have that issue. You may get pushback, you may get offense, but we're not just our kids' friends. We are their authority. And we have to help them navigate a pure life. And so I would, I would encourage parents, download our church app. You have these resources are free. The church paid for them, but we offer them free to you, and they are incredible. Each one, a parent's guide to talking to your teens about porn, Parents Guide to Depression and Anxiety. Parents Guide to YouTube. Parents Guide to the LGBTQ RSTUV. It shows you how to walk through and how to have these discussions, and we need to start having them now. So I'm going to pray. Pastor Richard's going to come and just share some announcements and, and, and lead us in a time of offering. But can you guys stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This is a a message that can be heavy, but it's also a message that's very freeing. Yeah. If you are in here right now and you are dealing with pornography, or you are in here right now and you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be, I feel like the Lord just wants you to let it go. Let it go. This woman, Jezebel, had a chance. He didn't just judge her and say, you're a sinner. He said, this is what I don't like, and it says that he gave her time to repent. That time is his grace. You have time right now. So as I pray, I want you to examine your life. Know that Jesus sees everything. And maybe you've found yourselves in one of these columns. And you say, God, I'm stuck in this, and I know your word says it's not supposed to be. I need your help, and I want to repent. That is the greatest prayer that you can ever pray. Amen. And that's the beginning of true freedom. Amen? Yes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace and the timing that you give us to repent. We thank you that you search our hearts in our minds, God, to see the way that we're living, to see the way that we're thinking, to see where our emotions are. And Father, I pray right now that you would just come in right now to every person's heart, those watching on live stream, God. Lord, that you would search every heart, that you would bring up things that are, that are, not, uh, are not ways that we're supposed to be living. 
Lord, every detail, everything that has been hiding, we ask that the light of your word would shed light and expose it, God. Not so that people can be offended and that people can turn away, but so that people can repent, so that people can change and turn around, God. Because that's what repent means. It means to change and turn ourselves around, God. And I just pray that people's lives would begin to turn around right now. There's so much stuff that needs to be addressed, but Lord, let your word go out and do the work. Holy Spirit, convict, build up, and encourage by your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.